Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, April, is National Alcohol Awareness Month, and we talk with the State Department of Human Services about help available for those in need and a recap of the NCAA Final Four in Minnesota. But first... The Minnesota legislature this week passed and the governor signed a bill banning cell phone use behind the wheel unless in hands-free mode. The measure passed in both the House and Senate with strong bipartisan support. Governor Walls says the process worked the way it's supposed to. But I think this is really one of those cases where democracy worked really well. The uh, the heartbreak and anguish and unimaginable pain that came out of uh, families of, of people who were lost due to uh, distracted driving, uh, they really came here and, and made this happen. And so I, I'm grateful for that. I think that's fulfilling government's role to try and figure out things that we can do to make life a little safer, a little better. This one seems to me that they met the criteria. And it, it's, I guess it's gratifying for me to watch, and I hope there's a lesson to be learned here. When the system runs through regular order, with regular hearings, with expert witnesses, with a thoughtfulness in the House and the Senate, and then bringing different bills together, and then uh, conferencing those, sending them back, voting on them, and sending us. Um, that's the schoolhouse rock. I'm just a bill sitting on the hill thing. And, and there's a reason why they designed it that way. It tends to breed in compromising good decisions. It's just uh, stunning to me how much uh, we fail to realize how much we learn in listening in those hearings, that little issues that came up. What does one touch look like? What would the penalty be? That's healthy discussion. So I want to congratulate everybody who's in there, but uh, also uh, note that this bill arose out of uh, anguish and pain. Um, and I always am, I'm always in stand in amazement of people who turn pain into activism and change so nobody else has to go through it. The bill requires drivers to use cell phones in hands-free mode for voice-activated calls. Functions such as navigation and music would still be allowed, along with podcasts and other audio-based content, if used without holding the device, typing, or scrolling. The law would not apply to drivers in vehicles legally parked outside of traffic or for emergency calls. State law already bans texting, using email, and web browsing while driving. The penalty for violating the law is a gross misdemeanor carrying a $50 fine for the first violation and a $275 fine for subsequent violations. The bill's Senate author, Scott Newman of Hutchinson, says he was compelled to take up the bill after hearing the heartbreaking stories of victims' families. I personally feel very good about what we're doing. I think that we are actually going to have an impact on people's lives. I think there are a lot of good people in the state of Minnesota that are going to listen to what this bill is all about, and they will put their phones down because we have passed this law. And the bill's main House author, Representative Frank Hornstein of Minneapolis, agreed that part of what pushed the bill past the finish line... It's the families, it's the people that have been directly affected by this issue who have lost loved ones. I believe that they were the people that turned the conversation around here in the Capitol. Uh, There was a time when we couldn't even get a hearing on this bill. Representative Hornstein is speaking about people like V.J. Dixit, whose daughter was killed by a distracted driver in 2007. She got a ride coming home from University of Madison. She was 19 years old, and we lost her six weeks after celebrating her 19th birthday in Madison, and that's the last time I saw her. Dixit has been calling for change in Minnesota for years. Don't give an excuse 
oh, I'm a very great driver. I don't get hit. I don't hit anyone. No, you will get hit. And I'm not giving you as a threat, but I don't think there is anyone who would like to stand like this in four or five years and talk about their loved one who was lost to a distracted driver. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka supported the bill. I, I truly believe that will save lives and we will see driving habits change over time just like we did seatbelts. Not everyone voted for the bill. Republican Representative Eric Lucero of Dayton voted no and said that under the bill, the simple act of holding a phone, whether it's on or off, could put a person in violation of the law. That to me is an absurdity. But Representative Hornstein countered. What's absurd is what people do behind the wheel. What's absurd is that they're watching movies, they're texting, they're not keeping their eyes on the road. That's what's absurd. With its signing, Minnesota becomes the 18th state to have a hands-free driving law on the books. The law goes into effect on August 1st. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A hands-free cell phone bill isn't the only thing state lawmakers have been working on, and as has become our usual practice in the heat of the legislative session, MNN's Bill Werner joins us with an update on other goings-on this week at the state capitol. Scott, this is the week that House and Senate committees put the finishing touches on the major state budget bills, getting them ready for floor votes, which will begin when lawmakers come back to the Capitol after next week's Passover Easter break. Let's talk taxes first, where Republicans and Democrats not only do not see eye to eye, they're not even in the same ballpark. House Democrats this week proposed a $1.2 billion increase in funding for education, and they would raise much of that money by plugging what they call corporate tax loopholes. Majority Leader Ryan Winkler. If we want a world-class education system that provides opportunity for all kids, we have to pay for it. If we want a transportation system that serves the needs of Minnesota statewide, we have to pay for it. And we're not shy about putting the price on the table that it costs to actually do these things. Senate Tax Committee Chair Lionel Lakes Republican Roger Chamberlain called House Democrats' tax plan disastrous. He warned it will lead to ruin for Minnesota. What they're doing is they're throwing crumbs. They're shaking down the citizens, threatening the lifeblood of this state. Hardworking families, entrepreneurs, businesses, they're shaking them down. 
and they're expecting him to stay and take it. House Speaker Melissa Hortman responded. Years of Republican trickle-down economics and tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy have left our schools underfunded. Without stronger state funding, class sizes will continue to increase, teachers will continue to be laid off, and our school districts will have no choice but to go to local property taxpayers just to fund the basics. Preston Republican Greg Davids fired back. Democrats talk about businesses paying their fair share, but... They're paying the highest ta- some of the highest tax rates in the world. Isn't that fair enough? While House Democrats' tax bill stirred up controversy, Senate Republicans' Health and Human Services budget plan came under fire from Democrats. Governor Walz's State Human Services Commissioner, Tony Lorre, warns the GOP plan would cut funding more than a billion dollars over four years with, as he puts it, far-reaching and devastating consequences. But Republican lawmakers are particularly concerned about widely reported fraud in the Child Care Assistance Program, CCAP, plus problems in other areas. To add money to a system that we're not confident about that is providing the services in the right way just doesn't seem responsible. Anoka Senator Jim Abler says he's trying to get the attention of an agency that oversees about $37 billion in spending so that ongoing problems are fixed. Meanwhile, Republican colleague Michelle Benson from Ham Lake said Governor Tim Walz's proposal to expand the Minnesota Care state-run health insurance program, what Walz has dubbed One Care, that that must be put on hold until continuing data security problems in the state human services department are resolved. I think it's reasonable for us to say you need to have your house in order before you ask to take on something this big. Human services officials said this week personal information of about 11,000 people may have been exposed when an employee's email account was compromised in a cyber attack nearly a year ago. Governor Tim Wall said this week he is continuing former Governor Mark Dayton's legal challenge to the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline upgrade across northern Minnesota. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd accuses the governor of breaking campaign promises. His first uh, appeal has, has failed, and now he wants to go to court to try to stop this project. Walls responded agencies will consider permit applications for the pipeline at the same time the courts are deciding whether it meets the requirements of state law. Is there anything that changed on the timeline? And the answer is no. What it did was it provided security for the public in a process that was started last year to make sure that another set of eyes is seen on this. House Republican leader Dowd fired back. I think what the governor's trying to do is to play both sides. I think he's trying to say that, well, this is ultimately going to happen, but I can at least tell the people that were against it I was with them. Um, And to me, that's that's a failure of leadership. President Trump coming to Minnesota on Monday, tax day, to highlight tax cuts that he pushed through Congress last year. Minnesota GOP Chair Jennifer Carnahan says her party will deliver Minnesota's 10 electoral votes to the president in 2020, given how close he came to taking the state in 2016. Minnesota DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin disagrees. I think he's going to find that there's a lot of buyer's remorse amongst voters here in Minnesota who voted for him in 2016. Let's get some analysis on this from Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Minnesota's electoral significance is not real great. I mean, let's let's face it, right? right. In the scheme of things. I mean, it's not a California, it's, it's, not, it's not a Florida, or, and, and not a Texas by any means. But... Is part of this that Donald Trump just wants to be able to say, yeah, I got them all in the upper Midwest? Yes, I think so, because I think what he's viewing it as at this point is my campaign in Minnesota 
force the Democrats to campaign here. Maybe if I don't win, um, again, it prevents the national Democrats from putting money into Iowa or Wisconsin or Michigan. But on the other hand, um, by campaigning here, I think he's sending a message that says that, listen, my base is in what? Is in the Midwest. He got within 50,000 votes of beating Clinton um, um, in, night, in 2016. Um, Perhaps he's thinking, if I put a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, if I start to build my base here earlier, um, I can be a real serious challenge um, at the presidential level in Minnesota. And that demonstrates a broader level of support, at least I assume in his mind, than simply Minnesota. Would that be correct? Yeah, we're part of a broader regional or, let us say, even though 10 electoral votes doesn't seem to mean anything, Democrats lose 10 electoral votes that they're certain to win here. That means they have to pick up 10 electoral votes elsewhere, um, and they have to find another state where they can do that. That's not necessarily easy. And I suppose that if Trump were to take the bastion of liberalism in the Midwest, that that would just be a signal in and of itself. Of course it would be. I mean, this is, this is a state that we'd have to say what? It's probably the most... DFL, or let's say the most Democratic party of all the Midwest. And if you could knock that off, I think that would be a a big um, coup for Donald Trump as a candidate and as president. That's Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. April is National Alcohol Awareness Month, and the Minnesota Department of Human Services encourages everyone to learn about the dangers of excessive drinking. And there is help for those who need it. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Thanks, Scott. Illegal drug use claimed the lives of hundreds of Minnesotans in 2017, a devastating toll that dominated headlines. Yet another 1,700 Minnesotans died that year and die every year from alcohol-related causes with little public attention. Joining me now is Claire Wilson, Deputy Commissioner of the Department of Human Services. Claire, can you share a little bit about what the goal is this month? Absolutely. We are trying to make people aware um, that, you know, alcohol use disorder is a staggering problem for Minnesota and that it's that is rampant alcohol abuse is rampant both you know in society at large and here we know that um at least 1,700 Minnesotans died in 2017 um, from alcohol-related causes. And, you know, it just hasn't received the same level of attention that um, deaths from opioid overdoses have. And while those are significant and severe, it's really important that people understand that alcohol is the most common reason that people seek treatment, and more people die from alcohol um, use disorder than from opioids. And, you know, I wanted to to bring that up. It it seems like there's kind of a a stigma around uh, alcohol abuse and maybe alcoholism in general. Um, Do you you feel, uh, Commissioner, that sometimes perhaps maybe people don't realize that this is truly a disease and can be fatal if untreated? Absolutely. I think that people don't understand um, 
as clearly as they probably should, that alcohol use disorder or an alcoholism is, it's chronic, it's progressive, and it's, and it's fatal if untreated. And, you know, because um, alcohol use is so common in society, um, I think that people tend to not recognize or notice um, either signs within themselves or signs within loved ones um, when the disease is starting to take hold. And if, you know, someone is worried about, uh, worried about this, is there a place that they can go to seek help? There is. You know, first of all, we just really want to encourage people who feel like they or someone they love may be having a problem um, is to reach out and really talk to their health care provider um, and make sure that they are exploring um, resources that are available to them. We also, if people are ready to start looking at treatment options, we really encourage them to visit our Fast Tracker website, which is um, www.fast-trackermn.org. And there they can find resources and available treatment options. Well, those are some of the questions that I had. Was there anything else, Claire, that you wanted to add today? Just that we really encourage people to pay attention to the signs um, of potential risk for alcoholism. So looking at how many drinks people are consuming um, per day or per week. For men, it shouldn't be more than four drinks, or a trigger could be more than four drinks, and for women, more than three drinks, um, and that's daily. And then just really paying attention to the impact it's having um, on your daily life, on your health, if you are doing anything differently to accommodate your drinking. And most importantly, that people just really understand that this is a chronic and fatal disease, but that it is also absolutely treatable and that people can and do recover. Thanks again to my guest, Claire Wilson, Deputy Commissioner of the Department of Human Services. For more information on alcoholism and treatment options, head online to www.fast hyphen trackermn.org. Again, that address, www.fast hyphen trackermn.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minneapolis Final Four is in the books, and by all accounts, organizers were happy with how it turned out. Virginia beat Texas Tech in Monday's national championship game, and the very next day, MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with the CEO of the Minneapolis Local Organizing Committee, Kate Mortensen, for Minnesota Matters. 
Well, Kate, let's start. Um, I would guess that it's a, a little bit of mixed emotions. Uh, four, four and a half years of planning. Uh, the event went off very well by all accounts. And now here you are like the day after Christmas, I suppose, huh? It's been a great Christmas at that. Uh, the feelings that we have today as a Minneapolis local organizing committee are of elation uh, and also a little relief because you put a lot of planning into these events. Of course, years of planning, very detailed planning, um, but you also rely on a little bit of luck, i.e. the weather, um, the great games that we saw. So we certainly feel like um, the things that were not in our control largely broke our way and the things that were in our control um, we saw the fruition of some pretty uh, detailed planning. We're very pleased. You mentioned the games. They were great in U.S. Bank Stadium, which for the first time uh, hosted a basketball event this big. Obviously, the Gophers in Oklahoma State played there in a much different look, but it looked like a football stadium that was turned into a basketball arena, and it got pretty darn good reviews, it sounds like. It, it got terrific reviews. A, it was gorgeous. Uh, everything from the deployment of the darkening system um, which looked very, in the end, sophisticated, certainly did what it was meant to do, but that center-hung uh, scoreboard, they, they actually have to rework sound uh, and push sound into parts of the, um, of the stadium that you wouldn't typically need to for football, uh, so we thought the sound was fantastic. Uh, the the sound, the projection mapping on the stage that was done, the the use of the ribbon boards and all the technical bells and whistles of this brand new facility, really created an atmosphere that was pretty electric. Visually, it was stunning the way the court seamlessly transitioned to seats that just filled right in up and over the turf, uh, and met with uh, some of the seats that exist already. We had attendance greater than has ever been in that venue before uh, over the course of Saturday and Monday. So it's fun to break records. And when you have games like that and fans that showed up from all four schools and then the local folks who also came, I thought the atmosphere was tremendous too. So we, we for many, many months have been inviting all of Minnesota to come and be a part of our final four with all of the free and low-cost activities, whether or not you're a lucky ticket holder. We felt there was plenty of enjoyment in downtown for families, for kids, uh, for the grandparents to come and bring the grandkids, for our professionals to stay downtown. And something that we are especially gratified about is we feel that acceptance that invitation was largely accepted. We saw a lot of Minnesotans enjoying free open stadium Friday, enjoying fan festival, uh, walking down uh, tip-off tailgate, checking out the Ferris wheel on the live stage. Um, so, so this is an event where we, we really, we all came together. We had a great time. People experienced our Minnesota culture. Uh, I think they took, around, took a look around and thought, well, gee, this is a place we'd, we'd like to come back to and soon. Was there, I know that you guys had some projections, and maybe it's way too early to know for sure, but do you think you met the economic projections that uh, that you figured because it looked like the streets were full? Absolutely. I think we got the, um, you know, the out-of-town visitor numbers that, um, that we expected to see. We certainly had attendance at the different events that was, um, you know, possibly in the, the top three. We don't have numbers yet. Uh, uh, we know we broke records inside U.S. Bank Stadium for that young venue. Um, so we're feeling confident that our economic impact will be there. It's very difficult to have a, a you know, to be precise about the number. It'll take um, weeks, if not over a month, because a lot of the information comes back from a variety of other organizations who report it in. So we're, we're not 
uh, making up information, we're receiving what data have actually occurred. We'll look at the tax rolls and report back to the community as to what, what was the bump we saw from this event. Now that it's done, um, how do you feel emotionally? Drained, exhilarated, both, a combination of all that? You know, again, I just I just feel delighted. I mean, from, you know, beginning on Friday when uh, the expectation of, you know, maybe 18,000, 20,000 at U.S. Bank Stadium for the free open Friday was revised up to 25,000, then to 30, then to 35,000. Uh, and then it, it just was extraordinary for us to feel right from out of the gate that um, the uh, events that we planned for, the vision that we had for inclusion and accessibility and high engagement from local people, we just felt like it's going to happen. And it just continued to all weekend. So my heart's full of gratitude. Um, I am a little tired. We told the team to, you know, Friday, uh, Wednesday to Friday, you know, work in your pajamas and take half days (laughs) and they do deserve it. And we'll be back here on Monday. The uh, next question, I suppose, is there's a limited – if the NCAA wants to do football stadiums, and it looks like that's the, 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 the trend, obviously, it's been for a number of years, there's a limited number of cities that have the facility and, and the, the, the hotel room space and all of that. Um, can Minneapolis, with what it did this past weekend, do they check off enough of the checklist? I would think so, that maybe a regular rotation of the men's Final Four could, could be part of the Twin Cities. Well, that is a very good point. There are, there are only about, at any given time, nine or ten venues around the country that can host this uh, set of games on Saturday and on Monday. And um, only about half of those are in that walkable dynamic downtown where you don't need a car. You can come and go and see friends, peers, and colleagues be anywhere in 10 minutes. Uh, There are only about five of those. And Minneapolis is one of them. And I think we've just demonstrated that a Final Four fits really well into the city uh, and that our city and our state and region really embrace a Final Four uh, from when people land at the airport uh, to the experience they have all over town all weekend long. So I can't imagine a box we didn't check this weekend. Uh, and certainly I think our, our community, uh, the, the feeling is very mutual that um, this is an event that we really love and can rally to. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that that's something that we might hope for in the future. The next open availability would be like 2027. I think they've announced dates up through 26. So what logistically has to happen if indeed Minneapolis is, is is stuck or put back into a spot. How, what has to happen between now and whenever the next opportunity would be? So in the next couple of months, we'll do our, our debrief um, uh, with the NCAA, uh, after action reports, uh, you know, uh, f- uh, financial final reports, and uh, un- unwind the 2019 Final Four. Uh, and then um, the potential future hosts continue to get invited to Final Fours, uh, and our Convention and Visitor Bureau and Meet Minneapolis, uh, I'm sure, will retain those um, relationships and stay, you know, in the mix, hopefully, uh, with um, what those future opportunities are. Of course, we're having other NCAA events like Women's Final Four. Uh, we have a men's regional coming. We have a, a wrestling event at U.S. Bank Stadium. I believe it's already broken any previous record for wrestling championship ticket sales. So uh, Frozen Four is coming. So it's not like the NCAA won't be back in town many times between now and 2026. But certainly building that um, um, relationship and continuing to, to look to uh, another, another Final Four together is something that we're all excited about. Congratulations. Thank you so much. 
That's Kate Mortensen of the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organizing Committee with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.